0: Welcome to the Economic Rockstar Podcast with your host, Frank Conway. Connecting brilliant minds in economics and finance.
1: In this episode, Craig Medico, economics educator in the United States, talks about how economics saved his career, how he uses technology and social media in the classroom, and why he's off to wrestling school.
0: I do it to keep things interesting for me. You know, if I taught the, the classes the same way every single year, you know, I would, I would end up in a huge rut. And my goal is to constantly improve and, you know, be as great of a teacher as I can for my students. No matter how old you are or where you are in life, always be an active learner. There's nothing more rewarding than learning new ideas, new activities, taking on new hobbies. And then once you learn something, become a teacher, share it with the people around you.
1: Hello, Economic Rockstars. Today, I have a fantastic guest, Craig Medico. Join us today on Economic Rockstar. Hello, Craig. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Craig Medico is an economics and history educator in New York with 11 years of classroom experience. Craig is doing amazing things to get young people to understand and become interested in economics. He is the author of Noble Review, Macroeconomics and Microeconomics, for use with the AP Macroeconomics and AP Microeconomics exams, and notebook review, macroeconomics and microeconomics top 10 guide. Craig is the developer of several best selling iPhone test prep apps from study by app LLC, including economics AP in 2010, economics AP free in 2011, and economics flashcard review 2011. In 2010, he contributed to the WNYC radio, public radio international's morning news program, The Takeaway. Craig is the Macroeconomics instructor for the Junior State of America Summer School at Princeton University and teaches Advanced Placement Economics at Paul D. Schreiber High School in Port Washington, New York. He recently completed an Economics Educator Study Tour of Peru with the Global Economic Education Alliance in association with the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs, and the Peruvian University of Applied Sciences. In his spare time, Craig records and produces educational music videos for the social studs, and more about that later on I think, Craig, what jumped out at me there was your trip to Peru for your educator study tour. Could you tell me a little bit
0: about that and how you actually got involved? Absolutely. Uh, The study tour was an incredible experience. It was organized by Dr. John Brock of the Global Economic Education Alliance and Claudia Cicalia of UPC. They put together this tour of mostly Peru's educational system that also looked into some of the recent economic developments that have been going on in Peru over the last few decades. So we went to wealthy private schools. We went to a middle-class private school, poor public schools. We met with representatives of the Central Bank of Peru, the Ministry of Education, Insania, Peru, as well as education students at the local university. I saw that this opportunity was available a few months ago. I applied for it, and there were 12 great economics educators that met up in Lima for this trip. So it was really cool. And you seem to have
1: covered all spectrums there from the very wealthy down to the poor. Was there something notable in the difference in terms of obviously the standards and so on of quality of life, but
0: what about the quality of education? Oh, absolutely. I mean, economically, Peru has been very exciting uh, recent years. I mean, they've been growing nearly 7% a year, but the educational system has a lot of, you know, there's a lot of challenges and, and inequities throughout. So we went to one upper-class private school in Lima, and I I tell you, this school in Lima, it resembled more of a country club than a school. Large outdoor swimming pool, soccer field, lots of open space. You could see the construction of new buildings on the way, lots of technology in the classroom. Every student had their own computer, high-level security system. I think there was an electric fence around this place. Uh, the students in the classroom, they are granted a lot of academic freedom, so a lot of project-based learning. Uh, most of the instructors were foreign that would uh, come in from overseas and teach a couple years. And, and they were very – seemed very high-level teachers. Um, when we went to the poor public school, uh, a poor public school outside of Lima, it was a totally different story. That school was pretty much surrounded by dirt and dilapidated housing. The, I didn't see a single computer in a classroom. I sort a dusty, broken TV set, which I heard didn't work anymore. And the students seemed fairly unengaged. Many were confused. And I can say I observed at least one teacher that was teaching students completely incorrect information. Oh, yeah. I, I saw a fourth grade lesson on bar graphs. Students very excited about it, very well behaved um but they're sitting there in their groups and they're working with these wooden boards with nails sticking up out of them and they're making bar graphs you know with rubber bands oh. and many of them seem to struggle through it and i'm and i'm thinking to myself wow this is you know a great example of where technology like an interactive whiteboard would greatly enhance these kids classroom experience uh, okay. i'm not the i'm not the type of person that thinks that just because there's more technology in the classroom, that's going to make everything better. But this was an example where I definitely would have increased the kid's likelihood of learning the stuff.
1: Because you give any child, before they even can talk, a tablet and they're totally engaged and they get to know that tablet and the functions of it. Give any child a piece of technology, they become a lot more intrigued and engaged as well. As you said, there, technology, we don't necessarily need
0: technology, but it does enhance learning. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, the thing that struck me most about the lesson, in addition to the technology, was that the teacher she was she wasn't teaching math using the order of operations, uh, the PEMDAS rules that we learn, you know, back in you know third fourth grade. She was just solving problems on the board left to right. So, for example, on the board it said two times two plus two times two equals twelve. Instead of eight, and I, I couldn't believe it. I turned to the interpreter and uh, I'm like, is, is this really happening right now? And then I started thinking, you know, is this happening in other public schools in Peru? Is it happening in the U.S. in some schools? Is it happening in schools throughout the world? And then secondly, can that damage be undone when you learn that at such a, a young age? And you no, know, I'm, I'm not sure that it can. So it was really that was a real sad thing to witness. Are you an observer? Yes. As an observer, I was struck by that. And were you given the opportunity to engage and teach a little or anything like that? I got to walk around to the groups and see how the kids were doing. And, you know, kids were the nicest, nicest kids, happiest kids I ever met in my life. You know, they're constantly slapping high five and, you know, bumping fists. Mm -hmm. And I, I tried to help a little bit, but we did have the language barrier between us. I was able to talk to the instructor afterwards through a translator And I mean, the teacher, she seemed very dedicated. She was experienced. She was very passionate about helping children. But as a guest, I didn't have the heart to really challenge her on what she was teaching the students. So that was one of the probably one of the sadder things that I saw down there. Is there going to be a
1: report done or is this something that you like to take back with you with the 11 other educators that went on a trip with you to do some kind of analysis?
0: Yeah, pretty much. We're all going to write up our own little analyses of of the trip and we'll see what comes up from that. We did a lot of press when we were down there as well. Um, I know I talked to one or two newspapers. One of the teachers in the group had a half hour interview on local television station. They made a big deal about it down there. They're really excited to have us. So I'm not sure how much change this is going to bring, but I I think it was definitely um, a, a worthwhile trip for both sides.
1: And what are the Peruvian government hoping to, or even the university, the Peruvian university, what are they
0: hoping to get from this? They're hoping to open up a bigger, maybe teacher exchange, bring Peruvian teachers to the United States, send U.S. teachers down to Peru, get more open dialogue, you know, get experiences together. Uh, and I think that's ultimately the goal to, to improve, you know, systems of education in both places. So this was kind of like the first step to getting there. No, we met with a member of the U.S. Embassy down in Peru, and he seemed really excited about this idea too. It was a really, really great experience. And the kids, you no, know, we went to one middle school, uh, middle class private school in Cusco. Now the students there, they were really excited about the future economy going forward and their roles in it. And they're like, "Well, what do you guys think? What do you, teachers from the U.S., think about Peru's economy?" And we're like, you know, this is a real exciting time for you guys. You have the inputs. You your property rights are better protected than, you know, 30 years ago. They have the recipe. They have the essential agreements for maintaining a strong economy over the long run. You see the cranes. You see the buildings going up. However, improving the education and human capital there is going to be the main determinant as to whether Peru is going to become a true economic powerhouse over the longer term. So great how, experience.
1: How old were these kids in middle school? Are they – you talk about 10, 12-year-olds.
0: Yeah, we saw they were about 15 there.
1: So they're quite engaged in economics and the the, the basics and seem to be quite interested in the future with economics being the underlying basis for that.
0: Absolutely. And that that was a great thing to see. Great thing to
1: see. And it's something that I'm sure you could bring back to your own and integrate it into your
0: own teaching as well. Oh, yeah. This is these stories are going to become parts of my lessons for a long time. A lot of great pictures, images, and experiences to go along with it. I've a number of
1: questions because looking at your website, you have a, you've a fantastic website in which you actually share a lot of your material as well. And you're really engaged in technology. So when you went to this high school, I don't know which one you went to first, but I'm sure you were quite struck with the level of technology in Peru because people have maybe perceptions of a, a developing an economy. But and then you see the the other end, the other end of the spectrum at the poor schools. But you're really engaged. What's your opinion about online learning or learning on the go?
0: I love it. (laughs) I don't think it necessarily replaces the classroom experience, but it it supplements it in such a great way. I, I view the online stuff as just another way of diversifying how we learn. You know, we can lecture to students, we could have students work in groups, we can pay extra special attention to students that struggle, and we can have the, the, the students that get it in the beginning, you know, teach it to other students that struggle. But I see the stuff on the internet, the, the internet resources, the books, the apps, learning apps that they have, all, in, all an extension of diversifying um, how to learn. I know like the big thing in education right now are the MOOCs, the massive open online courses. I mean, to take a class with 80,000 other students, you know, how cool is that? Mm -hmm. And do it on your own terms, do it at, you know, very low cost or even no cost in some situations. So it's really, really great. It allows
1: people from other parts of the world to engage or be part of the educational system, especially, say, for example, if these poor countries or the poor schools in, say, Peru, if they were given the ability or if they were given computers, they could independently go ahead and do some of these courses that would otherwise not have been available to them. Yeah, absolutely. So there's fantastic opportunities out there. But is this something that you would have went into yourself or were you gently
0: pushed that way? I did it totally on my own. We were never pushed in this direction. I got into technology because it 's fun. <laughs> it 's so much fun to uh, put the websites together and the apps and the, the books and the videos on YouTube. I do it to keep things interesting for me. You know If I taught the, the classes the same way every single year, you know I would, I would end up in a huge rut. And my goal is to constantly improve and, you know, be as great of a teacher as I can for my students. And what do you believe is the most disruptive technology to
1: the educational system? If you believe that is, you you did say earlier on that the interaction, the human interaction is quite important. But is there one disruptive technology that could harm the actual bricks and mortars of education?
0: Well, I know there's been a lot of experiments with um, going to a purely online learning model in parts of the U.S. You know, I know of one school, Florida Virtual School, they do a lot of things online. The blackboards and course sites, they try to run them purely online, which is great. You know, even if you're at the university and you want to take a few online classes, that's great. But there's definitely value of being face-to-face with instructors and your peers and your students in the classroom. I saw this. I was at the coffee shop a few weeks ago, and something really bothered me. I, I saw a kid. He was standing there next to his mother. He was probably like seven, eight years old, and he's just staring at the tablet. And the mother's just trying to get a simple answer out of him as to, you know, what would you like? You know, order. You can order yourself a donut right now. And she couldn't teach him how to how to order a donut because he was so absorbed in the tablet. And I I, I got really sad about that. Uh, and, and thought about it nonstop on the drive home, so I think human interaction is still very important. You know, especially in the workplace, we still have to deal with human beings, and and uh, we gotta make sure we create students that are gonna be able to handle that down the line.
1: You mentioned some of the resources, the technologies that you use, and you do have a YouTube channel as well. And this is very uh, engaging in terms of trying to get students involved or get to learn from a very young age in terms of, say, the alphabet or colors and so on, all the way up to maybe understanding some things about economists and also history as well, in which you actually teach. I had a few guests on my show earlier on, Joran Bowman. You actually you actually linked his site on your website. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm sure you're aware of your arm, are you?
0: Oh, he's hilarious. I, I love using his video. Uh, when I introduce budget deficits and fiscal policy, the kids love him. Uh, he, he's hilarious. He, he's
1: fantastic. He's yeah. a great guy, you know, I have to say. And I'm not sure also if you heard episode six with Andrew Heaton. He's a presenter for Econ Stories, which
0: is also on YouTube. Oh, love the econ stories. Yeah. Uh, they, they produced the the Keynes-Hayek rap battle. But this is something that's,
1: um, there's a break in the mold in terms of teaching. There's no more that perception, that stodgy perception with economics or any other discipline that we should actually be kind of strict or sincere or ha- not have fun there's people like yourself and Yoram and Andrew you're breaking down barriers to try to get at teaching or get to some of the subjects out to students at a very young age and break down that barrier and let them have fun and let them learn things and it becomes quite memorable
0: absolutely it makes the dismal science you no know, less dismal or not even dismal anymore we can connect students and, with students in so many different ways because of technology like even my videos i try to just i try to keep them short and sweet you know, keep the students' attention, give them the information that they need to know to, you know, review or understand the, the complex economic models that are often at play in our, in our big textbooks. So I think technology is wonderful for education in that respect.
1: As a person, when I first came across you, I, I actually came across you on Twitter, uh, and <laughs> Mr. Medical. And I want to talk to you about that later on because you have a couple of alter egos Um, I'd love to delve into but (laughs) aside from the alter egos, I want to know a little bit about you yourself, because I always like to talk about and find out a little bit more about our guests, especially with a lot of the work that they actually do to try and help other people in terms of learning. But what was the defining moment that actually got you into economics?
0: Well, it's funny. I I was actually an economic moron uh, up till about 12 years ago. I originally was a history instructor. And my school wanted to offer this advanced placement program. So in order to keep my job, I had no choice but to figure out economics. So in a pretty much a desperate attempt to keep my job um, that year, I had to figure out how to make economics work for me. Um, I don't know why I didn't get it in high school and I really didn't get it in college. I don't know if it was the old school dry lecture style that just wasn't a good fit for me. So, I think when it came to learning the economic concepts and then taking it into my own hands, I had to figure out a way to idiot proof the uh, the content of the curriculum since i I was a complete economic idiot at the time, so the only way for me to understand those concepts early on was to uh, and, and to teach it was to break it down into small manageable components and make the examples you know extra. I guess, simple or stupid. You no, know, the KISS method that they always say, keep it simple. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what helped my students learn the concepts early on. Uh, as I was becoming more comfortable with the models and the theories, uh, I was pretty much in my students' shoes moments before trying to teach them. And I used that to my advantage. I, I knew what it was like to be in their shoes. And when you teach something, you reinforce the material for yourself and perhaps take the most important step toward mastery of that content. And that's become a, a big part of the culture of my classroom, too. Uh, one of the features I love about my students is that they take the learning into their own hands. They help each other uh, in class without me prompting them directly to do so. And it's just become one of the most important things about my classroom.
1: I, I love that because a great teacher, I believe, is one who actually thinks in terms of being in the student's shoes. And that way you're actually able to get into their mindset and break things down for them. And they appreciate that. They get it straight away. You could have another educator who could be we'll just some highly intelligent, but makes the assumption that students kind of know the basics when they already have them lost. Getting into the student's shoes are extremely important. And it's what keeps the students in the subject as well. This We kind of get them retained and we want them to go into college and university and pick the subject of economics it's fantastic that you recognize that.
0: Yeah, I recognize it. I don't know if I always ex- execute it perfectly, but I do my
1: do my best. Well, I think the videos are fantastic on YouTube. Your website, info, is fantastic. You know, you're breaking it down and you're answering even your books, Noble Economics. You're breaking down, there's questions and the answers are brief and to the point. There's no waffle and, you know, you're, you're hitting on all the diagrams that are actually quite relevant for these exams as well. Could you tell me actually what the advanced placement exams are you refer to?
0: Yeah. In the U.S., the, the college board puts out these rigorous exams at the end of each year. It's AP uh, macro, AP micro, you know, it's AP chemistry, AP physics. If students pass these exams, many colleges will accept that as credit for introductory courses. So the students have you know, a bit of an economic advantage there. The more AP classes they take in high school, that could reduce the amount of classes that they have to take to uh, finish up their college degrees.
1: I'm sure there are a lot of AP teachers other than yourself that actually provides this information as well. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. yeah. And this is all uh, on site where they actually go to teach in a college or high school?
0: Yeah, these classes are offered in high schools, mostly. You know, some middle schools might teach AP classes. Sorry, um, excuse my ignorance.
1: Sorry. Just, oh, no, it's, I, I, it, I'm based in Ireland and I'm not aware of the system in America.
0: Uh, tr- trust me, when it, when it comes to other countries, I'm the same way. I was getting lost in Peru as to the difference between their middle schools and high schools and elementary schools. But yeah, no, mostly in high school, these classes are taught and then they can earn college credit for when they're ready for the university level. Great.
1: Do you have an affirmation or philosophy that you'd like to share with our listeners that helps you get things done?
0: Oh, there's, there's plenty. When it comes to, you know, getting things done, you know, it's important to you know, reserve some quiet time for myself each day. I try to, you know, work out a few days a week, even if it's just for, you know, 30 minutes helps clear the mind. Helps me feel good. And if you feel good, you look good. So there's, there's a lot of little things like that that I do. I find I have this three-hour window every morning between the time I wake up and when I finish my morning coffee where my mind feels extra sharp. And this is usually where my creative ideas typically originate. So I try to pay careful attention to my thoughts during that time. But ultimately, the goal is just to to be a happy person, be happy with what I do every day and so on. You know, Marcus Aurelius, you know, one of my favorite Roman emperors of all time, you know, he wrote that the happiness of your life depends on the quality of your thoughts. That's an idea that I've been buying into for a while. You know, we often deprive ourselves of the present by focusing on what we want in the future or what we don't have yet or by wasting our thoughts on worrying about others all the time. So in other words, those actions carry massive opportunity costs that can be minimized with just you know, little cognizance. So I've become a big fan of accepting what life throws at me, and then trying to use creative energy to make for a better present and future. Much like how you know creativity, innovation, and education will brighten an economy over the long run and raise a people's standard of living. You're the
1: third e- economist on the economic graph start that's actually touched on happiness as well. So. And there's definitely something there anyway that allows us to intrinsically develop as a person once you're happy because um, Paul Dolan in another episode was saying that money can't buy you happiness. We all know that and you can't know. take it away, <laughs> you, but um, there's a there's a whole area in economics that's actually opening up on what you just mentioned there. And um, Do you have any influencers or anyone you'd actually love to collaborate with, past or present?
0: When I think about my my influencers now, when it comes to the review books and the apps, the website, the, the videos, it, it was my students that influenced me the most because all those projects were completed to help my students first and foremost. But as an added bonus, you know, some of those projects went on to help hundreds of thousands of students you know, worldwide. So I'd have to definitely give my students a lot of credit there. When it comes to developing and delivering a solid lesson in the classroom, I'd say my influences are more like Metallica, Kiss. Aerosmith and the Rolling Stones, because uh, I, I used to view each lesson as a performance, uh, you know, like a like a rock show, a concert, and you know, and I was the rock star and needed to deliver some blistering set that left a, an impact on the audience. Which, you know, it probably sounds lame and cheesy, but that's what worked best for me. That is not lame
1: it, and cheesy. That that, <laughs> that gets to you. Have to tell a story and you have to have the the music or whatever it might be to get
0: in there, whether it's in your head or it's out there, you know. Yeah. I mean, there's an energy in that classroom, you know, and it reminded me a lot of what I used to experience as a long haired teenager at a heavy metal concert that, you know, the better the band was, the more into the show that the crowd got. And then the better the band would perform, the crowd would feed off of that energy. There's a multiplier effect happening. So you had long hair, did you? Yeah.
1: Snap. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. (laughs) So who were your, who were the favorite bands you grew up with as a teenager?
0: Uh, I would say my my all time favorite is probably Metallica. Metallica, yeah. Um, I used to listen to the heavier stuff, you know. And I love the Black. Pantera.
1: Oh yeah. Nirvana and Pearl Jam was mine as well. Guns and Roses. Oh, great bands. Ah, oh, fantastic, sure. Yeah, you t- you've taken on that rock team in your videos too on YouTube. Do the kids yeah. love it? <laughs>
0: <'Cause,
1: laughs> alright frightened. Um, let's <laughs> let's put on Jack and Jill.
0: Jack and Jill went up the hill to fetch a pail of water. Jack fell down and broke his crown, and Jill came tumbling after Jack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely would encourage the listeners to, to check out those crazy videos. <laughs>
1: yeah. And did it have a high response? What are the analytics like on it or the, the views on YouTube?
0: Yeah, actually, our the, the Social Stud's biggest video is the color song where we just, you know, we scream off different colors. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's my <beer>. It's red. <laughs>
0: it's the sun who's red, you feel. It's also the color of the dark. Exactly. I think there's like half a million views on that. It's, it's, it's crazy.
1: Uh, because once you watch one of them, you're gonna watch them all. Because you're Absolutely. you know it's two, two and a half minutes, three minutes long. If people don't know what we're talking about, you have a band called the Social Studs.
0: Yeah, the Social Studs have been around since like two thousand it's like our ten year anniversary. We we have to go on a ten year anniversary world tour or something. <laughs> Um, but yeah no it's we started off by making you know educational songs about history you know, like the causes of the civil war the presidents of the united states uh you know different states that you, you the 50 states of america and then we started to do you know silly children's songs but we made them like very in the style of heavy metal <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah we have a fun youtube channel for that so you have both you know there's educational content on there, but there's also, you know, just fun, goofy stuff on there too. So your first
1: alter ego, are you a George Washington or Abra Jams Lincoln? I
0: would be Abra Jams
1: Lincoln. <laughs> George Washington has the long white hair.
0: Yeah. Washington, He that's my, my colleague, Jeremy Claff, a brilliant, brilliant history educator. He does a lot of the lyrics and then I'll, I'll write the guitar part, the bass part, and I'll play the drums and then I'll sing over it and then we'll make those videos
1: so you are you are an actual rock star
0: yeah uh, i don't know if i'd go
1: that far <laughs> you're, you're you're playing electric guitar anyway and drums so that yeah. qualifies you doesn't it <laughs> and you teach economics so you're perfect for this podcast <laughs> yeah <laughs> but your second after ego medico your surname your it's play on m-e-d-i-c-o and instead of the C O, you have a capital ko Oh, we'll the
0: Medicao, yeah. Medicao, yeah. Uh, our school does something pretty crazy each year for the last three years. We put on a wrestling event, a professional wrestling event in the style of WWE, where we, we have uh, professional wrestlers come in, where we create uh, storylines on YouTube, and then we have matches in the ring. So my character is the Medicao. Um, and we just had an event a couple months ago. It raised uh, somewhere around four thousand dollars for charity. The students get excited about it. We actually go to wrestling school to learn how to take bumps and to you know jump off the ropes and things like that. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm pretty sure no other school in the in the world does something like this, no. <laughs> where they have teachers in the ring, you know, putting their you know physical health <laughs> in danger. But it's a very successful event. It's so much fun. To to do and the kids you know they really get into it.
1: Do they support you or are they against you?
0: Well last year they were against me a little bit because I was supposed to be a, a bad guy or a heel in it but then this year I was back to being a good guy. We were fired this year is how the story went and then we had to we had to win this match to to win our jobs back.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so it was all play acting then okay. Oh yeah. <laughs> It worked out <laughs> because, because I looked back on some of your tweets, right? And they were the kids were kind of winding up about being fired, and saying you got your job <laughs> back because you won.
0: Yeah, th- there's definitely some students that you know really believe it, <laughs> <laughs> which is awesome because you know when you, when you're a performer, when you're acting, you, know, you want people to feel something. You want them to feel the show, and and you know that definitely does happen for some people
1: in the classroom as well it's just like the way you explained it it's a part of you it's on, in a way a show yeah that's
0: that's how I view teaching and that's kind of how I live too
1: <laughs> I'd love to talk a little bit more about the technology or about education if you don't mind or unless there's something else you'd like to hit on
0: no let's go for it <laughs> yeah uh, no
1: it's just we're talking about technology and how maybe it's enhancing learning and could be disrupting the educational system But do you think that educators are too slow to embrace what learners are already doing or is the technology moving too quickly for us to actually try to keep up with it?
0: Um, I think it's a little bit of both. You know, technology definitely moves fast. And when it comes to education, especially public education, and you have schools that are given a certain budget. There's only so much that they can do in terms of adopting new technology because by the time they adopt it, by the time they spend the money and they get the new technology in the schools, something new is already out. I, I know it took us years to several years to get the Chromebooks in our school, uh, but before you know it, you know, there's going to be the next big thing. So it's, it's, it's definitely one of the big challenges I think all schools are facing these days.
1: Because it's something what you've actually done, and I'd like to talk a little bit about your apps and your books, but you've seemed to really embrace the technology and, I don't know, you've found a, a niche in terms of how students can actually learn with your app, the flashcard apps as well. Yeah. So this is a one-man show, really, is it? And you've taken this on yourself. When I was looking at it, I was I was thinking, how could someone like do this on their own? I suppose Rome wasn't built in a day either.
0: Right, <laughs> right. Um, there are tools out there that now make it much easier for other teachers to to do and adopt this. And you now I, I did run a workshop a few months ago with uh, a lot of local New York educators, social studies educators. And I'm like, look, if you want to make an app, you know, here's some cool websites you can check out. If you want to make your own videos, you know, here's an app that I recommend. You know, sit there on your tablet, or your iPad, and you can put this uh, type of content together also. Or you can just use what I have put out there or what other teachers have put out there. There's yep. definitely ways that uh, teachers you know, can do it in, a more, in an easier manner these days. And
1: do you have any tips or advice for educators on top of that to build on that? Or what internet resources would you recommend?
0: Oh, there's tons of internet resources. There's an app called Explain Everything that I use for the iPad to make my YouTube videos. I think it was actually free. I take a stylus, I create my slides, I talk over it, lecture over it. It uploads right to YouTube. You know, it just takes a few minutes of time, really. There's um, a website called AppShed, A-P-P-S-H-E-D. And on AppShed, you can create your own apps or you could have students create apps and if they're good enough, you can put them onto the Droid store or the iTunes store, and you can download them to your own phone. Cool. So that's that's an option. So they made it so easy. When I first started doing the apps in 2010, I didn't know anything about the coding or anything, so I did it through a company that asked me if I was interested, uh, and it worked out. But if I was to do it again, you know, I, I feel like I can easily do it myself. And what's the most difficult thing that you
1: find? Because I'm sure – Given the diagrams, they're quite static when you see them on paper, but you'd like them to be more interactive because there's always a progression in terms of a diagram. They intersect at a certain point, but then the demand curve moves, and you'd like to see that move. Is that something difficult to do, or are we at a, still at a stage where these diagrams have to be drawn on, on a stylus and an iPad in order to show the movement and the, how the diagram is actually drawn?
0: Yeah, there, there's definitely... Uh, I would think that, you know, like smart board programs have things set up where you touch the board and, you know, you see the movement of the curve from point A to point B. I know even something like PowerPoint, you know, you can cr- have the animations go a certain way to have all your curves move. I, I've done that for a long time. So we're definitely not in that static age anymore. We don't have to be stuck on the chalkboard or the uh, or a whiteboard with some markers anymore we can get a lot of movement with the technology. And I think definitely with economics, when you're shifting your supply and demand curves and your Phillips curves and all that fun stuff, you you need to have some action.
1: And I'm sure you're not going to stop here either. I'm sure there's a lot in the pipeline. And do you have anything you're working on at the moment, if you'd like to share?
0: Right now, things have you know, slowed down a little bit. I released the top ten guide with the Nobel review back in the fall, mm-hmm. and so I think the next step was we want to expand into other content areas. Because we started this company, me and my friend Jeremy, started the company a few years ago, and we have a lot of great world history books, SAT two books, the econ books. We would like to branch out into calculus and physics, and you know, really get to the bring the Nobel approach to other subjects.
1: Amazing. Amazing, yeah. yeah. And do you have any personal habits that you actually do? Because you said you had a three-hour window in the morning. Is that kind of an early morning thing?
0: Yeah, I don't know what it is. Uh, whether school is in session or it's in the summer, you know, once once the sun is up, I'm up. I I can't sleep when the sun is up anymore. But when I first get up, I have that three-hour window. Throw down the coffee. Uh, it's I could I could either be standing in the shower or driving to work, and that's usually where the creative things you know happen or originate. Like even something as silly as you know starting my Twitter account you know four years ago or three years ago that happened driving to work first thing in the morning, I got it up and running, and then you know the students followed immediately and they got into it. Wow. but now they're on to other things you know Twitter's not as cool as it used to be. Wow. Snapchat's the big thing in the classroom yeah. so, now I'm, so now I'm thinking, how do I get Snapchat <laughs> into the class? And no, one of my, one of my students did something remarkable last year when she was studying for her finals, she would take pictures of herself and she would draw the graph or the model somewhere on the picture. And then she would send it out to everybody else in the class. And then a lot of the students were studying based on the students, you know, supply and demand graphs that she was Snapchatting to people. And I thought, wow, that's that's, great.
1: That's one (laughs) one way of copywriting your work anyway. (laughs) And did you ever read the book by Hal Elrod? Miracle Morning. Uh, no, I have not. Okay, because uh, I was wondering, would you mention this, given that you have that three-hour window? I highly recommend it, actually. It's a kind of a movement. It started in America and around the world now, and they have a Facebook page. I think it's definitely something that would resonate with yourself.
0: Yeah, I'll definitely check that out as the weather is getting warmer and the semester is quieting down. <laughs> yeah. And do you have definitely. any recommended books?
1: Because I'm going to put all your books and your apps and link them up on my website, economicrockstar.com forward slash Craig, C-R-A-I-G. So if there's anything else you'd like to put there or like to share with us that you might recommend, whether it's an economics book or any other book, I'd love you to share it with us.
0: Yeah. I mean, lately, over the last year, I've been big into um, some of the ancient philosophers, especially the Stoics, like Seneca, uh, Epictetus, who wrote the manual. They're just you no know, fun reads and You know, economics, you know, a lot of economics is about studying how to, you know, achieve happiness and maximize satisfaction. And I I found that a lot of what Seneca, Marcus Aurelius, Epictetus would, uh, would argue and say, you know, are definitely applicable there. So I've been pretty busy lately with those books. Um, I haven't been did, doing as much with the economics lately, but that's that's usually a summer project. One of my students just mailed me a copy of Alan Blinder's last book after the music stopped. And he's like, you got to read this. It's so good. So I got to check that out for him. Is there anything in terms of teaching economics
1: that you'd love to make a change from what you've actually experienced or what you're actually reading in terms of the Stoics? Because a lot of economists at the moment are reading about this type of
0: philosophy. Yeah, it seems to be making an incredible comeback right now. Mm. I know there's the book, The Obstacle is the way that recently came out. It's been getting becoming very popular. Yeah, I don't know. For me, it's just trying to, trying to get the most out of life, being happy, being an active learner and being curious. That, that seems to do the trick for me. I would love to see more. I know in the US, I would like to see uh, more economics education in the high school. Because a lot of my students, they're not exposed to economics until the 12th grade. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if this Common Core thing is going to change that, that uh, I've been hearing so much about. But uh, I I know I'm the only advanced economics teacher in my my school, and I, I wish we had more. And I wish students were exposed to it more often.
1: It's something that a previous guest, Hector Avenida, had said to me as well when he was in high school and even in college, that he wasn't exposed. He was only exposed to one semester of economics, I think, in university. And it's a sad thing because even to expose students to this and give them a choice, even at least two semesters or even four semesters of it, um, and more so in high school, I think In the same same in Ireland. We're given a choice to choose or abandon the subject itself. Craig, is there any takeaway that you'd like to leave with us before we
0: part? Uh, For me, it's just... No, no matter how old you are or where you are in life, always be an active learner. There's nothing more rewarding than learning new ideas, new activities, take on new hobbies. And then once you learn something, become a teacher. Share it with the people around you. Um, just don't annoy the people around you or get up on a soapbox or be smug about your knowledge. But you know, be happy to share it with people because you know, everyone learns at different levels. Um, and to remember just about everything is an opinion to some degree just you get to decide what and how you know you want to think so being an active learner I'd say that's the biggest takeaway for me
1: fantastic, fantastic Craig. thank you so much for being so inspiring and for joining me on Economic Rockstar I had a blast and I personally learned a lot from you great fun and share with our listeners
0: where they can find you uh, they can find me at mrmedico.info they can follow me on twitter at mrmedicoinfo they can send me email directly at cmedico at gmail.com. It's pretty much the best way. Great.
1: You can find all the links to Craig on economic rockstar.com forward slash Craig. Craig, thank you for being so generous with your time. You are an economic rockstar. Thank you so much.
0: Actually, I have a, I have a question for you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you think Conor McGregor can beat Jose Aldo?
1: Well, he's saying in four minutes and I have to agree with him. Yeah. (laughs) Conor McGregor all the way. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Do you follow the MMA? Uh,
0: yeah. Yeah. I, I like, uh, checking out the UFCs each month. Yeah. I get to see some friends. We go out and
1: watch the fights. I did a little Muay Thai and I trained some MMA as well. Nice. But, uh, yeah, nice. but uh, <laughs> what, what's your weight class? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I I I don't know. You go by by kilos or pounds, do you?
0: Yeah, we go by pounds. <laughs> we
1: weigh stone. So, oh jeez, um, I'm talking would it be seventy kg? Okay. Or is that right? Yeah, I I I go by pounds. over so I'm talking about ten. Just about 10, 10 and a half stone. Okay. So quite nice. small. <laughs> but I've only tried the MMA a little, you know, so those headlocks and turning me upside down and inside out, it was just, <laughs> 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 just got a bit too much for me. But uh, it's nice being passive and watching it happening. But yeah, Conor McGregor all the way. I have, yeah. I have a blog post actually um, on Conor McGregor yeah so I, I saw that on your page, care. and yeah.
0: that's that's why I had to ask <laughs> yeah yeah, so yeah you what do you think i I think he can do it. I mean, we've been watching Jose Aldo for a long time uh, on top of that division, so and and Connery, he's an animal he <laughs> in is. there. He is, isn't he? I, I, I felt bad for all his opponents so far. I mean, he's just, he's crushing them. Yeah. Like sometimes you think with stage, the way
1: he's putting, putting them, finishing them, you know? Yeah. You'd be there thinking, yeah. hang on, that, that, you know, Brando, you know, he couldn't have, you can't just fall like when in the first <laughs> round, you know, a guy like yeah. that. But yeah, he, he's crushing it really, isn't
0: he? Yeah,
1: totally. And the women's as well. We've got, got a good Irish UFC fighter as well she might be having a fight there before that as well in Vegas. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. All right. Mr. Medical, all the best. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much. Thanks a million. Bye. Take care.